the, the beauty here is that, as you can see, we work alongside the kids, right? Every day. I mean, I'm literally five feet away mm. from some of the strongest people I've ever met. And yeah. so that in itself is a gift. And I see it when I talk to my managers, you know, the professionals who chose to be in the team. Yeah. Um, they're so overwhelmed with the sense of purpose mm. um, of working here. And so am That's I. Yeah. And then also, the, the passion also of everybody in the team is what keeps me going. Okay. I mean, if that weren't there, I would have given up already. <laughs>
We're here, I mean, basically, these products fund the entire operation. Mm -hmm. So yes. can you talk about a little bit of the history and how you started the organization? Yeah, so believe it or not, um, I started this myself. I got recipes from the web, okay. you know, like baking soda, vinegar, essential oils. Um, we packaged them um, and sold them. The first two months we were in operation, I think our sales were at 2,000 US dollars, okay. which was pretty good um, yeah, for, good for nothing, for yeah. starting from nothing. Yeah. Um, but it grew, you know, triple digit every year and then double digit ever since. Until today, we're still growing double digit. Right, right. Um, and I think we're very, very serious in terms of creating really good products. Yeah. If you look at them, there's really nothing on it that blatantly says we're a social enterprise, we're right. helping these kids because we want to, the products to stand for themselves. Yeah, sure, and sure. I think they have. And we also don't want the kids to have the psyche of you know self-pity or mm -hmm. you know deserving yeah. anything just because they're in that predicament. Did you start with the product first or did you start with the problem of teens and youth and first? What was we started first? with the problem first. In fact okay. there was a business before Messy Bessie okay. Um, okay. that I had started up for the girls I was with um, and it failed miserably and okay. that was why it was a temp agency and then okay. so that was why I told myself okay we need to create something where we can kind of have all the girls or envoys um, in one area where we can um, hone their work ethic. Okay. You know, while they're here. You start with the population. You figure out that you want to give them jobs. Like, what is it that you're trying to do as your mission as a start? So, in the beginning, because I based it off of the Lancy Street Foundation in San Francisco, okay. um, the initial kind of mission was to provide jobs. You okay. know, kind of just that sense of dignity. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we realized they needed education too. Because in the Philippines in particular, you're not hireable if you have no college degree. And so we started a college program, um, kind of against all odds. Okay. You know, to put these kids through college is totally not easy. But, you know, because that's what society demands right. of them, if you want to be out of poverty forever, then that's what we're doing. Um, and so in 2012, we started our college program, and it's been going ever since. So. Four years after 2012, 2016, we had our first college graduates, mm -hmm. and every three months we have more and more graduates. Okay. To, to this date, we still have more and more. So the students come in, or the kids come in then, they become students and employees at the same time? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then how long is the process for them when they start to, when they would say finish yeah. the program with so you? So it's pretty rigorous. Their first nine months here is really just working and preparing them for school. Okay. And then they have to earn their spot as a, they have to kind of apply to be a college um, scholar. Um, they go through a panel, kind of like an American Idol panel to prove themselves. And then um, they go through college. Um, and then after their second year, we deploy them to partner businesses just so they they experience other businesses. And just so we free up slots and then we yeah. take in more kids. Okay. Okay. Um, and then um, after that, when they graduate, they get to choose a job of their choice. So that's probably in their fifth or sixth year here. Okay. Um, they choose, and that's our dream, that they choose their job. Yeah. Um, regardless, um, whether it's with us or outside. Oh, so they're with you five, six, seven years? Yeah, I mean seven, okay. that's extreme already, but okay. maybe on average around five years. But then when they come in, how do they afford the college tuition? How do you, how do you help prepare them for university if, if they've been in exploited situations? Yeah, so we do have a lot of psychosocial programs. Um, we are partnered with the top psych institute in the country. Mm. Um, we also have youth mentors um, under our payroll who are um, assigned to at least 30 kids at a time. Yeah. 
Um, and so we have a lot of programs that support that side of the kids. Right. So then how do you measure impact? Um, what is that your, what's your accomplishment? What, what do you consider success as they're going through this time? Yeah, so um, our big numbers are having a bank account, mm. having college credits, having a college degree. Um, but the smaller things, so we're partnered with this, with, with this organization in Boston mm. that uses neuroscience to study the effects of poverty on the brain. Mm. And so because of them, we've been able to adapt this tool that measures the... Um, kind of measures how well their brain sorry I'm gonna get technical a bit okay, here no okay problem, no problem. so apparently poverty um, affects the prefrontal cortex of your brain mm. which is your critical thinking so they've found that people who go through poverty have an underdeveloped part mm. of the prefrontal cortex okay. the beauty is it's plastic so you can rewire it mm. so the tools that we use are able to rewire your brain to, to make sure that it's able again to set goals and then reach it, set goals and then reach it. They're not capable of <laughs> having the critical thinking of if I do this, then it yeah, will yeah, happen. Yeah. So you have to kind of wire their brain. Mm. So right now we measure 10 aspects of their lives okay. um, every three months oh. or more, okay. each child. Mm. So from financial savings to family stability to academic standing to work ethic, so all of this is measured so um, we we are able to see if they're improving in every aspect or not okay. um, and this way we're also able to design our program so those of you who are scored low in financial we we'll make you go through this program so it makes us more efficient also mm. as social workers I mean five to seven years for a kid who's been exploited that's got to seem like a lifetime for them yeah. so when they come in how many of them make it through the entire program do you have a high I mean I would think to be a high dropout rate because yeah they're just like wow I have to really make a commitment but they're not used to commitment so yes so what's the dropout in the beginning when we didn't know what the hell we were doing um, <laughs> our dropout rate was like at 80 percent Wow. Okay. so out of that first college batch we had of 10 kids only two finished Wow. Um, now though our dropout rate has gone down to less than three percent which is miraculous in the development sector mm. so I think it's really because the kids pay for their own schooling mm -hmm. it's also because we focus on the mindset scientifically okay. and it's not anymore like a heart-based subjective kind of mentoring okay. Okay. so sure. it's very scientific we know exactly why they're not performing and how to address it yeah so actually I find with a lot of social entrepreneurs we think that because we're doing good people yeah. appreciate us they'll throw us parades and everyone that we help will be like you know but it's anything but that exactly right? I mean when you try to help it you may do more damage than good mm. so um, I think what we need to be we need to be seen as problem solvers mm -hmm. not as helpers because so it's, a, it's almost like our mindset that's yeah the yeah problem, right yes exactly so you mentioned you had a 80 percent drop off the first year um, how long did it take you to get to three percent and what were the big lessons you learned or what were the big turning points yeah so it took us around three to four years to get to mm -hmm. where we are today and the big lessons is that it's looking to the experts um, and not figuring it out ourselves because a lot of people especially in the developed countries have figured it out yeah. and so we adapted tools that have you know they used MRIs and all these technologies that we don't have access to mm. and so we use that we adapt it make it a bit better yeah. and then yeah that's what we use so that's one of the big things I think that made us successful in terms of the social program okay and so how many kids do you have now 
Um, what's like a couple success stories that you can like pull out like, oh, that one was my favorite one? <laughs> okay, so we have around 100 kids now in the program. Um, oh, which success story? I don't know, but you know, I guess for me, the successes are really the most vulnerable ones. The ones who started, like I have one child who was a drug user, a drug peddler. Um, he, he lost a lot of his friends in this, the extrajudicial killings they call that's happening now in Manila. Um, but he made it out of that system. And um, it was really, we were all doubting that he was gonna finish the program. But now he's graduated and he's working now. He was pirated from us. He's working now in an international organization that recruits kids who were like himself. Mm -hmm. So it's like a full circle. It's really beautiful. That's great. But how we dealt with him was really difficult and we learned so much from that. Okay, so what did you learn? Well, I learned one that it's really not enough to just focus on him because his attitude was great. Mm. But then we had to go as far as going to his house, talking to his dad, meeting his mom, mm. figuring out what was happening with his siblings. So family was a big issue with him. Okay. Okay. Um, and then he also had a lot of mental health issues and so we had to address that too. Yeah. So it's, it's very complex. It's a complex issue that yeah, requires yeah. complex solutions. You know? Well, and I find that a lot of times we try to oversimplify so, but then it's really complex, so how do you, I mean, you've got a product that has a process that you have an investment, that you have machinery, that you have, mm -hmm. but then you have the software, which is the people, which are yeah. very complex, right? Yeah. How do you maintain balance? Like, how do you know when to, like, why do you not give up on some of these kids when you should to maintain your process? Like, what, how do you look at these things? Uh, I don't know. I ask myself that every day. <laughs> but I mean, we approach everything, both business and social program, with a lot of rigor yes. and a lot of science. Yes. So um, we try to, like with the kids, we try to give a lot of tough love, but there's a whole lot of structure under it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's how what makes us survive over the years. In the beginning, we've been burnt out because we were just so attached to the kids. Yeah. But now we kind of are stronger yeah. and we know how to kind of define um, you know, what we do. But we never right. close the doors on them. So we've okay. terminated kids, yeah. um, but we always tell them, please come back. Right. Show right. us right. that you've done well outside and come back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's never a never. It's and a no for now, but come back. How often does that happen? Not very often, but okay. it has happened. Maybe okay. three times, I okay. think. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you got to hope, right? Yeah. And you got to give them that chance. Yeah. So. And we'd like to think that even if they didn't finish the program with us, that their lives have changed even um, for two years or three years with us. So over the last decade, mm -hmm. how many kids have you come, brought through the program? How many have left the program? Yeah, so we've had over, I think, 60 graduates to date. Um, all of them now are in, are in jobs paying above minimum wage, very stable jobs, yeah. Both here and outside of Messy Bessie. Now, you have a product here yes. that seems to be doing very well because it's, it's paying for all of this. <laughs> yeah. um, how, how have you balanced your, say, your profit motive? Yeah. Um, this is a product that could be very profitable yeah. where you could scale it through distribution agreements. Yeah. You can just have one factory and just yeah. but you have this other side of the business which is like the nonprofit side. Yeah. So one has to fund the other. Yes. How do you balance the profit? 
always in the center of that, especially when there are investors wanting to come in. Yeah. Um, but for now, it's fully owned by myself. Um, and we do get support from the nonprofits yeah. as well um, to take in more kids, more than the business can afford to. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the business, you know, we've been growing steadily. Um, I think perhaps a bit too slow for the business people. Okay. But, you know, um, prudence, I think, is kind of necessary if we're in this job also of trying to help these kids. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, it's a balance. I mm -hmm. mean, I can't say we've cracked it. Okay. Uh, but as long as we're doing good growth and we're able to pay for all of this, I think we're okay for now. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see like a lot of people be like, well, take the money and you can expand and you can help more help kids, more, yeah. right? But is that something you've thought through and how, how would you approach that? I mean, to, to be able to grow as fast as we can, possibly, mm -hmm. will, will mean we'll need to take in more investors. Yeah. Investors means of the possibility of other interests. There's a lot of talk about investment impact or impact investment and so much money around. Like, yes. is it really different than if someone came from a traditional background and said, hey, I want to work with you. I like your program. Yeah. Are they really all that different? I think I haven't met enough impact investors, but the few ones I've met, I find that the, the returns they're demanding are very high. Mm. Um, and on top of that, you have to create impact too. Right. And so, I'm a little bit conflicted in terms of understanding what they really want. Yeah. Yeah. Is the rate that they're asking for higher than a traditional investor? Typically, it's the same. So it's actually more work for you. Because <laughs> you have to do the same return, but you have to have impact too, so that the impact investor... So then how, how do you view scale? Like, you, you can scale the product through yes. a traditional, say, retail yes. platform. Yeah. Export. Yeah. Domestically, can you scale? Yes. So okay. we're only in Manila right now. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, most of the Philippines, um, in terms of the market, is really concentrated in the big cities. At least it's clear for you. So you know where to do it and how to do it. Yes. But then how do you scale the social side of the business? Does yeah. it need to scale in line with this? Or are you okay to keep that smaller while this explodes and then... Well, in terms of the messy, messy business, um, we've always had this internal commitment to make sure that half of our workforce will always be our kids. Okay. It's kind of a crazy number, yeah, yeah, but sure. we've seemed to meet it all through the years. Um, but you know, that's not a lot. If you're talking 4 million, 5 million kids, um, if our business grows to 2,000, it's just 1,000 kids, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not a lot. Um, so we've always looked at replication. Yeah. Um, always. We've always looked at replication because what we feel like we've done here is we've perfected, well, not it's not totally perfect, but we've mm -hmm. tried to perfect the system in a small scale right. and hopefully we'll be able to convince other businesses to take in our program the way we've done it, right? Mm. So if a business like ours is able to thrive with half of our population as right. these kids, then what about these giant companies who take in just 10% okay. or 2%, mm. right? Um, the, the workforce in the Philippines is around 40 million. Okay. So if, an, if these companies take in an average of 8% um, working students, then that, that makes it 5 million. Have you developed a program, platform, training that you can offer to other organizations to help do that? Yeah, somewhat. Okay. Um, it's okay. not yet there. I'd like to focus more on that soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is that something that you would give away? Is that something that you would charge for? Is that like, how did you view that? I would love to give it away. Okay. Um, but if these companies will want us to step in, and I'd understand if they do, yeah. um, especially when it comes to psychosocial health or facilitating with the schools, yeah. then of course we'll have to charge for that. Okay. But we'll always, 
as a business person, I'll always want it to be mutually beneficial, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a win-win situation. Win-win-win for the yeah. kid too. So this channel is a lot about Asians, sustainability, innovation, and entrepreneurship coming together f to create like a scalable good. Yeah. Um, why did you choose entrepreneurship? You used to be in corporate. You could work for a big foundation. You could work in the government. Like, why was this the vehicle for you? Um, I think personally, I enjoy creative problem solving. Mm. I love creating new things, and yeah. in big organizations, <laughs> it's a little bit harder to do yeah, that, sure. I think. Um, I don't know, my dad was an entrepreneur, so okay. I do enjoy it. A little bit in the blood? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And okay. I enjoy branding, I enjoy mm. marketing, so that side of it I enjoy too. Okay, so you, you say enjoy a lot. How has this process <laughs> been for the last 10 years? Like if you look at it, it's always a struggle, we talk about this a lot. Um, what gets you through the difficult times yeah. um, when, when you're having them? Well, obviously, I think the, the beauty here is that, as you can see, we work alongside the kids, right, every day. I mean, I'm literally five feet away mm. from some of the strongest people I've ever met. And yeah. so that in itself is a gift. And I see it when I talk to my managers, you know, the professionals who chose to be in the team. Yeah. Um, they're so overwhelmed with the sense of purpose mm. um, of working here. And so am That's I. Yeah. And then also the the passion also of everybody in the team is what keeps me going okay. i mean if that weren't there i would have given up already <laughs> yeah i mean passion is a great fuel source but it's yes. something that fits and spurts like yes. you need to tap into it and sometimes like oh yeah you know it's not starting i so. mean every morning right on these bleachers we have morning sessions mm -hmm. where we spend 10 minutes discussing values okay. um, and it's one of the favorite things the kids do mm -hmm. um, and we realize these values are things that they don't get to discuss like okay. we have yeah, yeah, you yeah. know in our in our homes you know every yeah. day whether on our dining tables um these kids and, <laughs> yeah well <laughs> but these kids you know we talk about value like this week was all about courage mm. the other week was about altruism you know some are really right, right, deep right. and they really appreciate it and it's kind of like a bonding session for all of us so we were talking upstairs about how you're now looking to bring in a COO more process focus release you to go out and look at the businesses differently expand it um, what's your process for finding your number two and what do you think is like kind of like the core things they must have. What we're looking for really for this position is someone who is very entrepreneurial, okay. um, someone who's willing to do things that have never been done before, um, and someone who's growth, uh, who has a growth mindset. Okay. So always looking for the next opportunity. Everything's changing so much, especially in retail. Yeah. Um, and so someone has to be open to that. Right. Um, is that someone that you can find internally or does it really have to come from the outside and you want someone with like a, a retail background who just loves your mission yeah I mean right now I'm, I think we're gonna have to look outside okay. um, doesn't necessarily have to be a retail background mm -hmm. um, but someone who you know kind of is like a go-getter that's what we need that's what I feel we need because we have very good um, executors yeah. in yeah. the team yeah. um, but we need someone who wants who can think out of the box and who's willing to take risks yeah and actually, I find that myself I have amazing programmatic teams yeah they can just they just get it done and they're focused and the process for them, yeah. you know, whether it's for clients or for the impact, targets, or like they can yeah. set targets, right? But to find that person who wants to be like, this is where I want to take the organization next, yeah. that's a little bit different. So my question to you would then be, I've actually found a number two, I kind of released, she took off with it. Really? Um, and I remember the first point I was like, 
I'm really uncomfortable with this because yeah. she was making decisions that I won't say I didn't understand, but I didn't see it the same way. It wasn't yeah. my vision anymore. But over time, I was like, I'm really happy to see this. So yeah. are you ready for that? Like, are probably you ready? not. <laughs> I'm a control freak, so okay. probably not. Okay. But um, the thought of being able to focus on the social program, on the replication, yeah. the thought of starting up other businesses or investing in other businesses, um, that yeah. excites me more. Okay. So ready or not. I will let go. <laughs> <laughs> and with other businesses, would it be something along this, like an extension, or you want to do something totally different with the same population, or you just want to try something totally new? Uh, well, I want to come up with other product lines, okay. uh, maybe not related to this, but mm -hmm. still, of course, environmentally uh, yeah. conscious. Um, but um, yeah, I'd like to test also the social program in yeah. other uh, other industries. Okay. So that's something, yeah. And I want to build more brands too. If you're speaking to us, an aspiring social entrepreneur right now, um, they're looking at this going, I want to solve this issue. Okay. Um, what's a few tips you would give them to prepare for this journey? Okay, one is never assume you know what the problem is. Mm. Yeah, so that's, that's number one for sure. Um, and two, I think, is just keep showing up at work. You'll never know the answer and you'll never know how to build the business. That's what my husband was telling me, just keep showing up, you'll figure it out. And that's what I did and 12 years later, I think it worked, so yeah. Okay. And surround yourself with people smarter than you. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, that helps. Okay, now you're talking to a current social entrepreneur who's yes. maybe in the middle of the grind and like plateaued, stuck, looking at the next step. Um, how do they get unstuck? Oh, that's tough. Um, I think, at least for me, um, I always go back to why to why I put it up in the first place. So like a few months ago, we, we went through a crisis and I made sure I sat down with the kids and just had a conversation with them. Not about the crisis, but just to reconnect. Yeah. And then I get reminded and then I'm, I'm unstuck by that. Mm, okay. So that's, yeah. So you, you reset your focus. Yeah, and, or just okay. remind yourself of why you're doing this. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you Rich.